Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Hello and welcome to episode 12, which is the last podcast in our series one. I want to take the opportunity at the end of this first series to thank you for your support. Our listenership has trebled since the beginning and we have listeners internationally as well as nationally throughout the UK. I particularly want to thank the sponsors CPOMS and Jigsaw who have supported the podcast both for series one and moving into series two. The new series will be launched by looking at pupil leadership and we will be interviewing senior and junior school pupils about the importance of pupil leadership around mental health. You can look forward to some more collaborations with other organisations and their podcasts and again some varied subjects to be able to take aspects into your everyday practice. Today's podcast isn't going to take the form of an interview but I'll be sharing an important concept of how we might improve mental health in schools and that's around emotional literacy. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. Unmindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. Our feelings, thoughts and behaviours impact on our mental health, as does our environment. So today we're going to be focusing on feelings. Emotional literacy is sometimes called a soft skill. It's no more a soft skill than mental masses to gain in greater depth. It is the foundation for self-regulation and good mental health and it's regularly missed out as a concept of learning in schools. This podcast will seek to provide you with some important information around emotional literacy, the benefits to behaviour, attainment and empathy, and the role that emotional literacy can play in improving mental health and whole school prevention. As always, I'll provide links to the latest guidance and a handout that you can use with pupils or with staff in training. I have extensive experience of emotional literacy and have been supporting schools with a whole school approach for many, many years now. In fact, I was the head of service for a transformational emotional literacy programme called PATHS. Emotional literacy is the term used to describe the ability to understand and express feelings. It involves having self-awareness and the recognition of our own feelings, how to manage them, and such as the ability to then stay calm when we're angry or anxious and reassure ourselves when we're in doubt. When we can name an emotion, we can then make healthy choices about what we need and our behaviours and any potential solutions. 
The consequences of not teaching or understanding emotional literacy in an educational context is that we regularly then get acting out behaviour, which I call externalising. So those are the pupils that you tend to see will show their emotions quite readily. Sometimes we use the phrase, they wear their heart on their sleeve. Or you may get the depressive or anxious behaviours, and I call this internalising. So those are students that tend to be quieter or don't tend to share their emotions more readily. And I'm going to touch on this a bit later on. But according to the very latest guidance report from the Education Endowment Foundation, improving behaviour in schools, it has an important part of teaching students learning behaviours. So a learning behaviour can be thought of as a behaviour that is necessary in order for a person to learn effectively in a group setting of the classroom. And behaviour for learning approaches can be supported by the evidence on social and emotional learning, self-regulation and essential life skills. We also know there's guidance from the DfE. So we know that there is the Mental Health and Behaviour in Schools document that sets out the importance of emotions and understanding our emotions for good self-regulation and for good mental health. Not only that, we've got uh, the strong case now that RSE, so Relationship and Sex Education, SRE, um, Sex Education and Health Education, is going to become a statutory part of the curriculum from September 2020 in the UK. Hopefully you're making plans to tweak or amend your curriculum or designing your curriculum about ensuring that you're ready for that part The statutory guidance that's come in, particularly for primary, talks about their students being able to understand a normal range of emotions, a scale of emotions, to recognise and talk about emotions and have vocabulary about being able to talk about their own and other people's feelings. And also how to judge how they're feeling and then choose the appropriate behaviour that comes with that. The guidance also says that by the end of secondary, schools should continue that development, but also that students should be able to talk accurately and sensitively. And I'm going to share with you some really good um, resources that you can use to support that. And if there isn't enough guidance around this, there's also the document called No Need to Exclude. This is a really good practice guide for schools when we're talking about reducing exclusions by promoting the well-being of all. And it sets an emotionally healthy environment as part of a preventative approach to exclusions. I'm sure you will have heard me talk in other podcasts about the importance of resilience as being a preventative factor for mental health difficulties. And if we take a look at the handout that I've provided to go along with this podcast, and we look at the seven learnable skills of resilience by Revish in 2005, they're all learnable skills of resilience. Resilience isn't something we're necessarily born with, it's something that we can develop. And we can see there that emotion awareness and regulation, so the ability to identify what your feelings are and manage them appropriately, is one aspect of resilience. The second one there, if we look at the table, is impulse control. So that's the ability to tolerate ambiguity and not rush into decision making. Let's look at the fifth one down, it talks about empathy, so the ability to read and understand the emotions of others. This helps build relationships with others and gives social support. 
And then if we look at the sixth one down, self-efficacy. So confidence in your ability to solve problems involves knowing your strengths and weaknesses. You may wonder why I've included that as part of emotional literacy. Emotional literacy really is the precursor to managing behaviour and being able to solve problems. If we're angry or frustrated or anxious and worried and we're trying to make decisions, we know that we're not in our thinking part of our brain. And this means that we're not making decisions that are based on problem solving and considering consequences to our actions. When we're not in our thinking brain, we're reacting. So the ability to actually regulate our emotions means that we can then make better choices about our behaviour and be able to solve problems through thinking through clearly rather than just reacting, which is why I've included that on this um, slide as an important part of emotional literacy. Interestingly, without exception, in the hundreds of schools I've had the privilege of working with, Children from age 4 up to 18 typically only use between about 5 and 10 feelings to express how they feel. I think you could probably guess what some of those are. Happy, sad, angry, bored, excited, proud, maybe scared. But do you think children only really experience between 5 and 10 feelings throughout a day? Of course not. There are around 3,000 emotional words in the English language. So why might children only use between 5 and 10? This is often because we do not teach the vocabulary that's associated with the experience that we're having. We sometimes assume that it's caught in the atmosphere or caught at home where students and young people understand that a feeling that they're having and the word that's associated with it. Nobody actually teaches them the vocabulary that connects with the physiological experience. The importance of being able to teach emotional literacy. So what does it feel like when you're angry? What does it feel like when you're scared? What does it feel like in your body? What's going on in your head? And actually, what do we see externally? It's so important to then connect that with an actual word so students and children have the language in which to understand how they're feeling. Again, have a look at the handout that I've provided for you. We've got there something that I use a lot in schools called Plushie's Wheel of Emotions. This is where we can pull out some of the segments that children might be using. So if they're just using the word happy or sad to describe how they're feeling, might it be that they're feeling something else? So if we look at that segment, if you've got that handout in front of you, it may be that they're feeling proud or they maybe feel joyful or they maybe feel loving or thankful rather than just happy. If we look at the sad segment, maybe somebody's feeling lonely rather than just sad, or maybe they're feeling isolated or ashamed. Same with the angry segment. And a student says they feel angry, might they be feeling resentful, humiliated and let down? Being able to understand that emotional vocabulary is really important, because actually if we're lonely, it's better that we can talk about that loneliness and solve that problem. If we're just saying we feel sad, it's a bit more difficult to actually navigate ourselves to the right support 
if I'm feeling lonely, then actually I want to be with people and feel like I need some company. So all emotions are actually a form of communication and information for us. So the more that we can establish how we're actually feeling, the better self-awareness we have and regulation we have of those emotions. And it means we can then help to manage our behaviour and solve our problems based around those feelings. So there are no good or bad feelings. Feeling lonely isn't a bad feeling. Feeling angry is not a bad feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling. And we use the words either it's comfortable or it's an uncomfortable feeling. This means that we can acknowledge our feelings better. This helps our mental health. Yes, I feel angry. But the really important thing here for children to understand is the distinction between the feeling and then the behaviour that follows. So here's an example. It's okay you're you're angry that your friend has called you a name, but it's not okay to have hit them back. And in so doing, we help children understand that the feelings that they gain are important to them. They give them information, information about what's going on for them, and it improves their self-regulation and their self-awareness. Another example that I like to use in schools is calm. Calm is one of the most important emotions for children to connect with because when they need to calm down when they're angry or calm down when they're anxious, they need to understand what calm feels like. My experience when I talk to particularly younger children about a time that they may have felt calm, they will often say, well, it's when on my, on my computer game. If you've looked at a child on a computer game, you will know that they're not calm. Their brain is going fast, their fingers are going fast, they're chatting to other people and they're really sometimes quite wired. And often in schools, we tend to tell students to calm down. But if they don't actually understand the physiological experience with the word that you're saying, so what does calm actually feel like, then it's unlikely you will get them to be able to be calm. Calm is when we're sitting still. It's when we're peaceful, our shoulders are back and our you know, body feel is rested. That is what calm should feel like. So it's really important that as part of your role as mental health lead, you can support your colleagues in putting emotional literacy into the curriculum and into everyday practice so that students start to have that self-awareness to improve their mental health. And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper Chronologies for pupils, or school-wide reports, can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. 
Maybe you could think of some other uses for Plushie's Wheel of Emotions. I know some schools have decided to put this into literacy lessons, both in primary and secondary. Particularly helpful when we're thinking about character descriptions and moving away from just happy and sad. But I know some schools that have used this in their pastoral support and helping students to identify how they're feeling. I want to introduce you to Dr. Mark Greenberg now. There's a three-minute um, clip that I'm going to share with you. He's a psychologist who I've had the benefit of working with, and he's going to explain a little more about that uh, link between emotional literacy and the regulation of behaviour. Uh, emotion regulation is really the key to the human development. And when we can regulate our emotions effectively, and, and even as adults, we're still working on this every day, the more we can regulate our emotions, the more likely we are to help, be able to help others. Because the more that I feel in control and I understand myself, the less time I have to worry about my own needs and the more I can think about and act on the needs of others. So we see a direct relationship between being able to regulate your emotions well and being able to be kind and caring and altruistic and compassionate to others. And this is why it's so important that we help children to understand their emotions, to be able to learn how to express them verbally and writing in art, lots of different ways, and to be uh, for children to understand that all emotions are okay to have, even those that, that are difficult, that include suffering or, or shame. Uh, because by expressing those feelings, um, we, we begin to see them in a new way. And we know from the neuroscience of emotion that being able to put words to emotions is just like a good kindergarten teacher says, use your words. We know now from the neuroscience of this that when, when we can put words to emotions, they, uh, they change. The, the whole nature of the, the sense in the brain changes, what's activated in the brain, but also our sense of ourselves changes. Because when we can put words to something, it changes the, the nature of the, the sense of what it is that we're experiencing. You know, when children are really young, they, they, they act out their emotions. Uh, every parent's been called uh, from a daycare when their child's two or three that they've bitten, their child's bitten someone. Because when you feel angry, the first thing you want to do, it's, 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 an in, it's instinctual, is to do that, is to, is to bite or to grab or to hurt. Uh, because anger, for example, wants us to explode, to express outward. Uh, and so this, this first revolution of child development occurs when children have what Vygotsky called the second signal system, and that is the ability to now link language and representation to those emotions. Uh, but we know even as adults, oftentimes we have a hard time putting our feelings into words. Uh, as parents and as teachers, oftentimes we'll act out our emotions rather than exp express them verbally. But we know that when children learn to develop that ability to, to verbally express their emotions, it's a, it's a watershed in development. Uh, and the more children can learn to do this appropriately, the better. Now, there's nothing worse than a, a neurotic person who never shuts up about their emotions, that wants to tell you every day how they're feeling all the time. So it's not just that, that we should teach children to express their emotions all the time. It's we should, we should teach them the ability to express their emotions and then help them understand in what social context and with whom and when are the right times to do this. We can start to see, can't we, where this goes beyond just putting something into your PSHE and your curriculum. It also goes into the language that we use when we're interacting with students in school about helping them understand their emotions, to connect with how they're feeling, 
to validate them and say, it's okay that you feel that, but actually the behaviour choices that you've made were not okay. So I want to just share with you a concept around uh, maladaptive and adaptive behaviours. So maladaptive behaviours are when we adjust in the short term to deal with a situation, but then in the long term it's actually caused more harm than good. So an example of this I often give in school is when on a Friday evening we're tired, we feel chewed up and spat out and tired and we, we reach for some chocolate or a glass of wine or gin to help us manage the overwhelm and the stress that we feel. In the short term, that's great because we've anaesthetised the feeling through alcohol or through chocolate and we feel wonderful briefly for that moment. But if we only use that as a way of helping us manage our stress and anxiety, then we've created more of a longer term problem for ourselves in terms of addiction. When we think about maladaptive and adaptive behaviours, therefore, what we want to do is help children to understand how to make healthy, adaptive choices around their behaviour so that they don't choose things like hitting someone back Because in the short term, that feels great. But in the long term, they've caused more damage to their relationships. It's probably gone against their own values and they probably don't like themselves really because they've done that. But in the short term, it felt great. So if we can help students understand how they feel, but then help them make healthy choices, adaptive behaviours based on that feeling, then even better. So if a student is angry... It's about helping them understand what are the ways that will help them to be able to calm down so that they can think clearly and make good choices. For some students, that could be counting to 10. I have to say that's never worked for me necessarily. But deep breathing, for example, so breathing slowly in through the nose and out through the mouth is a wonderful start to try and get students to calm down and to stop Other ways could be a walk and talk. So often boys prefer the side-by-side conversation, as we've shared in other podcasts. So go for a walk and talk about what's going on. But these are ways in which we are teaching our students some lifelong strategies for how they manage themselves when they have overwhelming feelings. This just doesn't relate to anger. This also relates to anxiety, for example, and any other uncomfortable feelings that they may have. Are there children you can think of in your school who have maladaptive behaviours as a result of an emotion? Teaching emotional literacy then provides opportunities for calming down and what we call self-soothing, which is crucial for healthy, adaptive behaviour choices. And then when we understand and can regulate our own emotions, we're more likely to be successful in relating to others' feelings and then improving empathy. So what are some top tips for ensuring that emotional literacy becomes part of your whole school approach? As I've said earlier, making sure you review your PSHE curriculum in light of the statutory guidance, but includes that emotional literacy. You may have bought an off-the-shelf curriculum, so like Jigsaw, for example, or it may be that you are adding something in to your already established PSHE. Ensure there are lessons which provide opportunities to discuss an extended range of feelings and a discussion on when we or someone might feel them, what someone's face or body looks like on the outside, 
what it feels like on the inside and that they understand that all feelings are okay and actually we can have several different feelings all at once. Some schools have used a sort of drawing around the outline of someone or even using the outline of someone on just a sheet of paper and getting students to think about a particular feeling and then write on the inside of the, of the body what it feels like inside and then on the outside of the body what it looks like on the outside. Other things to extend learning around this is getting students to do a poster, for example. So we have the, the feeling of anxious and we look for ways, books and films and maybe times that we might feel anxious. What we're trying to do through this is help students con to connect with the experience that they have, that feeling of anxiety, times we may feel it, and examples of it in stories and books, so that they're really understanding and we're expanding their literacy around a particular emotion. So discuss healthy, adaptive ways of handling their behaviour so make a, a list with a student of healthy ways to calm down when we're anxious or angry. The self-awareness is key and we have to understand that what helps one person will not help another necessarily. For children who are on the autistic spectrum, they sometimes find it hard talking about and discussing emotions. It can be just challenging to think about empathy and understand how others feel it needs a particular way of teaching students and this is why having feeling faces for those students is really helpful because you can really hone down on the specifics of what someone's face looks like so they have visual cues for how they may understand their own emotions and also understand those of others. I've worked with a school for pupils who have ASD and one of the things they do in primary is when students are playing, they actually show them the feeling that they're having so that they connect with the experience. For children who have experienced significant trauma, talking about feelings can be more challenging and can sometimes trigger past traumatic events. Having worked with pupil referral units, Teaching emotions and being able to share emotions is slow progress. Sometimes their feelings have not been respected by others and their worry about sharing their emotions can take a lot of time and trust for them to share. Children who don't feel safe or feelings are not respected will find this difficult. Take a look at your behaviour policy can you include something as simple as the language around the fact that all feelings are okay, but actually it's the behaviours that we choose and whether they are okay or not okay that follows? Can we ensure that there is a safe space in school? This is something that we've talked about in previous podcasts and it's an important part of emotion regulation, having a safe space when we're feeling overwhelmed. I know for myself, when I feel overwhelmed, and did when I was in school, being able to go somewhere and just gather yourself to calm yourself down is an important part of maturity and being able to self-regulate. This doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a space in school that students can go to out of lessons. It could be that in each classroom there is a specific space where students feel that they can go. 
I explain more about this in the 10 Steps to a Mentally Healthy School document, which you can download from my website. Anna Freud has some fantastic assemblies which you can use with your school, and I've included again this in the resources section. This talks about the importance of being able to talk about emotions with others as part of improving our mental health, and sometimes that we may need help in managing big feelings. That staff have an understanding of emotional literacy and the importance of an emotion coaching approach. For example, I can see you're angry. That's okay. Will us going for a walk help? Come on then, let's go and do it together and you can tell me more. Using other literacy texts as well to discuss feelings of characters in books and stories and history is really important. This is a a well-known PSHE technique that rather than talking about me, not talking about me or talking about you and your feelings, we're talking about this character over here in this book, in this story. And sometimes for younger students, that's in puppets too. It's really important that they have an opportunity to talk about feelings, particularly if they're a student who has experienced trauma, that they will want to talk about it through the third person, the book, the story or the puppet and relate their feelings to that character before being able to do it for ourselves. I hope I've provided you with enough information and understanding for you to understand the direct correlation with emotional literacy and promoting good mental health and well-being, behaviour and ultimately attainment. Self-awareness and self-regulation are part of an individual resilient skills. It's part of maturity, developing healthy relationships and actually being able to concentrate in lessons. When applied consistently, curriculums that I've been involved in have shown greater concentration, reduction in low mood and lowering rates of aggression for some children when they have been taught emotional literacy. It's often a missed concept gap in self-regulation and managing behaviour. We find that unless students really understand their emotions and can connect with them and can label them, then actually moving on to self-regulation and problem solving will not work as well. It's a bit like trying to get students to write a persuasive letter when they don't understand sentence structure. So emotional literacy is that important concept gap. Also, the direction of travel, of curriculum and guidance shows the importance of taking this seriously, that it's not a soft skill, but it's a transferable skill, an understanding of knowledge, which applies in whatever lesson, in whatever relationship or workplace environment we are in. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.